0: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. City Act Chronicles is a Bay Chronicles production. Before we start our chat, we want you to head over to chronicles.com forward slash Patreon now and subscribe to the Chronicles to membership with a free seven-day trial. Get priority access to every episode and voice note before the rest of the world. Plus, no ads and bonus Patreon-only exclusive episodes and video episodes. Mm. Also, be sure to join the new chat community in the Patreon app and chat with
1: fellow subscribers. Happy Halloween to all of our Serie A Chronicles listeners. We've got a spooky round of Serie A to talk about with horrifying Jose Mourinho making his team play terrible football. But first of all, let's take ourselves straight to the Sadio Diego Maradona. Did you like that intro, Mina? (laughs) I'm sorry, it is really funny. I can see, I can see you're like. If,
0: if you didn't know Nikki was in America, you know now.
1: <laughs> oh my god. All right, I'm gonna tell you a story, a really embarrassing story. Okay, so I am in I'm in America, I'm visiting friends. Um I did go to a Halloween party over the weekend and I at the last minute threw a costume in my bag because like, am I supposed to wear a costume? I don't know. For reasons I had like an elf costume at home, oh my god, I should put that in the bag. Bring that, okay? And when I got it to with me to the States, I was like to my friend. I'm not wearing this unless you're wearing a costume. Right? Either we both wear a costume, or neither of us wear a costume. I don't mind which. And she didn't wear a costume, so I didn't wear a costume. But then we were staying away from where I'm staying for most of the trip, and I realised I hadn't brought my pajamas with me. So I ended up sleeping in an elf dress. No, you didn't. I slept dressed in my elf dress because I didn't have any other spare things to dress this up into. So that's my embarrassing
0: Halloween story. Wait, hold on, hold on. Can you explain to me what the elf dress consists of? Because I, I don't know why, but I feel like you've put on ears and stuff.
1: <laughs> I have the ears, which I was not wearing, because there'd be no reason to wear those as part of pajamas. But I have them.
0: So, what does the costume look like?
1: It's just like a green dress, which is like it's one of the, like it's, it's off like Amazon and it's really cheap. So it's just like a green dress, which is like a probably like polyester material or something. It's not that clever, um, anyway. <laughs> That's my embarrassing introduction to Sarah Chronicles*. I've made Mina laugh, which is always yes. a good start to the show. And now I'm going to make Mina talk about football and not about my embarrassing weekend. Mina,
0: right? So, uh, yes, game of football, the best match that we have watched thus far in the season. Absolutely. I mean, we've 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 watched some horrors going uh, in this season so far, but this game was absolutely fantastic. I know it was really fantastic, but there's also a part of me that was a little bit annoyed by some of the mistakes as well. So I guess sometimes defensive mistakes also make for just entertaining football in general. Or they, everyone is saying it's the attack of, the the, the mm-hmm. attack of both sides had so much quality that you understand those defensive mistakes. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. When I watch Rahmani, I'm not thinking, oh, it's just Jaru's really good. I'm like thinking you're very bad at this
1: point. I think it was all at once a sort of barn burning entertaining game of football right like it was it was really like enjoyable and also like to me felt like and this is why neither of these teams will win the league like because they both (laughs) defend in ridiculous ways sometimes and I think their problems like are different so just to sort of say in case anyone missed it Napoli at home to Milan Ended up as a 2-2 draw. Uh, Milan were 2-0 up at halftime and could not have looked more in control of the game. Olivier Giroud scored two headers. Uh, I think they'd had four shots on target to Napoli's zero and they'd had 12 shots to Napoli's six. Like they were completely, completely on top of things. And then the second half happened and it was just the total opposite. Uh, Napoli uh, scored a pair of brilliant goals and uh, they were... Just completely in charge of it right up until maybe the 89th minute when Natan gets sent off and they go down to 10 men. But yes, uh, Matteo Politano and uh, Giacomo Raspadori scored two wonderful, wonderful goals. And it felt like, if anything, Napoli were going to win for a lot of the second half because of how dominant they were. To me, there's like two separate things going on here. Obviously, Milan did lose Pierre Kalulu to injury in the first half, and that's Nisi mentioned. But in general, this just felt like a very familiar Milan story to me that Milan, we know how they like to play. We know they like to play with their eye line. We know they like to press at the pitch. And when it's looking good, it looks really nice. They played some nice football in the first half. And then there's not really a second gear. And they've got this soft underbelly that has been really badly exposed against PSG, really badly exposed against Inter, who beat them 5-1 earlier this season. The defence just looks at any moment, like it's got this ability to fall apart. Napoli to me is like a different story. I feel like Napoli, ever since Garcia's been there almost, are a team waiting for someone to take the initiative. They're like waiting for someone to be like, let's do this. And when they got to the second half and it was a situation of, oh, we've got to play now, we're down 2-0. They remembered how to play. They've got all the same... uh, not all the same, but they've got the most of the same players they had there before. Those players understand each other. They know how to to interconnect with each other. They know how to make the most of things. But some of the defending in that first half, Milan were, Milan were working down the right-hand side, which is a positive for Milan because it wasn't all going through out And they were just creating these overloads and no one at Napoli was reacting. Like there were four on three down the right a lot and Napoli weren't adjusting to it. And I... I really feel like that team is just missing leadership, which, of course, Spalletti to Garcia is a change at the very top. But perhaps it's also something that's happening on the pitch with Kim not being there and just not having someone. Maybe it's not Kim. I'm just saying that because I'm thinking about the defence. But having someone taking some, sorry to repeat the word again, some initiative.
0: I think what you say... It's very accurate. So here's the thing that I have about Napoli, right? Is that for, I don't know, since I think I feel like I've been reporting on Italian football, I have always insisted that Napoli have a soft underbelly. When I'm No, that's the that's wrong thing to say. Napoli have a soft mentality. And the only time mm-hmm. that I've seen them overcome that was last season under Spalletti. And I still didn't think that their mentality was that great. The thing that made the difference was that their football was so great that it, that it, ensured their enthusiasm for a full ninety minutes on the pitch and allowed them to sort of overcome opponents. Also, it was, you know there were there were varying factors. but having a leader like Osman, which is I always I mean, he's a wonderful striker, but I also always make it a point to note that his leadership qualities mattered, you know, having him sort of losing a lot of shedding a lot of the old, old stars that perhaps, you know, change the mentality as well, help them that bit more to, to try to secure the victories. But Napoli are a mentally fragile team. And I feel that when you put them under pressure, they rarely sort of put their head above water and say, you know what, we're going to come back and do something. The fact that they did do that was impressive now against Rudy Garcia, I'm um, sorry, with Rudy Garcia in the second half, it seemed like there was a genuine reaction. And I like to see that. And there is this part of me that thinks the real nap, the real Napoli that we saw last season, the one that isn't scared, might be showing up again. Obviously, I also think the tactical changes made a huge difference. It was just so different having Simeone on the pitch because of his mobility. Having that player there allows Raspadori even more ability to really show what he can do rather than just be sort of the focal point, right? You sort of miss the absence of Osserman, but I thought Simeone coming onto the pitch really, really helped a lot with that. Um, Oliveira was also very good. Another thing, sorry, just to just to mention as well, Politano is a player that I don't know half the time if you to punch him in the face or I think you're so good, you know? And there's like, obviously the two goals were spectacular. For me, I preferred Raspadori just because I, I was like... I don't actually both of them are stunning. But Politano, we said that there's no shots on goal in the first half. But he had a great opportunity in the first half and he, they could have made it 3-1. Milan, I think their downfall was in the sense that they dominated so much in the first half that they should have finished with at least three goals. Um and and them not being able to convert that into more more goals for them is what allowed Napoli to come back into this game. Now, my there is something worth noting, exactly like Kalulu got injured on the 19th minute. They did have to bring in Pellegrino, who isn't really like, ready for this step up at the moment. Their defense has looked weak, even when it's kept clean sheets. In all honesty, you just felt like, I don't look at this defense and think, wow. Reinders is one of those, he's proving to be one of those players that can either be dazzling, but also very annoying as well. He should have scored that third goal. He's very new, so I'm not going to be too harsh on him. Giroud was back to scoring goals, all fantastic for Milan. But Milan play very much like a Premier League team. In the Premier League, what's different between them and Serie A is that the Premier League is my ideology can trump yours. So my system can trump yours, and I'm going to show you my system and hope that it's better than yours. Why coaches perhaps like Unai Emery, who are different, who are tactical, who study you and try to negate you, is what makes... Aston Villa is an interesting team to watch. Italy is more about I'm going to show you how we play but I'm also going to study you and try to make sure that you don't get to play. It's it's a very different system, right? And I and I just feel like Milan go into these games trying to take all the teams to you know toe to toe, try to go for it, try to dominate, try to show you what they can do. And it's basically like their technique can overshadow yours, can be can overcome yours. And it worked because Napoli were like, "Wait, wait, what's going on?" They don't have a. They don't have the ability to take away space. They don't have the ability to play tight, compact lines and defend and 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 starve Milan of space to operate. So they also try to play their game, and Milan did did enough to overcome them. But as soon as Napoli showed that energy in the second half, showed a desire to be like, no wait, hold on, you know. We didn't press the first half. We didn't move the ball in the first half, but we're going to change it now. We're going to show more aggression. We're going to try to go out, you know, and and show you something. With the Botka shaking off off his marker, it made a difference. And then this is where I feel like Milan are a side that are like only really capable of showing us what they can do when they get to show their game. When they have to do the reverse and actually play a tactical game they're really struggling to do that at the moment. And this is why I have to criticize purely because can your team play in any other way? Or is it just that we show ourselves, we dominate, and if we get beat, well, what can we do? Because it's not very, mm-hmm. it's its almost naive at this point.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I unfortunately totally agree with you. I think purely to some extent, yes, we've seen a development of a plan B because it's what I said before, right? In this game, in the past, perhaps you would have just been waiting for Leao and Hernandez. And they weren't. They were they were working much more down the right. Calabria, Musa, Pulisic. I think if you want to take the positives for Milan, those are your positives. I thought the right-hand side of the t- team worked well. And the other positive is Giroud just scoring again, because Giroud hadn't scored since the beginning of September. He needed those goals. Those things are, are distinct positives. But if you want the negatives, it's that, yeah, the, the formation the 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 tactics you, you kind of know what you're getting all the time. Yeah, there's been some subtle tweaks to the formation, but it, it's basically the same structure every game. And I I think it's a little underwhelming at this point. I think it's a little underwhelming not to to have a bit more variety. And I also think it's clearly disappointing not to be able to shut down a game which you're winning 2-0 away to a rival. Like you have to be smarter. You have to understand how to to not lose uh, the points you've not got in the bag, but the points that you've got in your hands, right? The points that you are yours to throw away. And I think they did throw this away. I wanted what your thoughts were, Mina, on the the late substitutions as well. Obviously Giroud goes off at 2 all with his team chasing the game. Uh, Leal goes off as well. Giroud was on a hat trick, was not thrilled about it um i saw some very hyperbolic sort of uh headlines saying oh pioli's job is not at risk and i'm like were we ever talking about Pioli's job being at risk like that's ridiculous that's like the level of sort of over the top thing but um yeah what did you think of those substitutions late in the game
0: Well, I mean, this is what happened after PSG when it was like Calabria is really angry, right? And everyone's like, ooh, there's drama in the dressing room. And Giroud now being angry. Leao apparently was also angry. So I don't know if this is like a hot take or something, but I feel like it isn't really a hot take. I kind of like that in a team. I don't want to be able to take off players who are like, cool, smile. Like one of the things that irritates me sometimes... I used to say this all the time with Gianluigi Buffon, was how nice he was to the opponents, you know. In fact, when he lost his mind once against Real Madrid in the Champions League, do you remember when he started going on about the referee having a garbage ban, uh, garbage for a heart? That was, you know, yeah, he yeah, lost his mind. Can, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, was the only time I'd ever seen him really fired up. And i was like, finally, yeah. I sort of like people being angry to be taken off because they want to show you the best of them. I don't necessarily think that that indicates problems in the dressing room. So that is not what I see as a problem with Calabria after PSG or or now. What I do see as a problem is what Giroud said afterwards in the sense of we didn't know whether we should be defending or going to score another goal. And I think there's a clear confusion as to what they do now in the second half, because obviously they had now wound down. They are exhausted because Shiru has played now how many games? They've had three big games in one week from Juventus to obviously the Champions League to now flying out to Napoli as well. So the team has lots of absences amongst it and, you know, losing Pulisic and obviously losing Kalulu is just, just adding to the problems. So you know they're exhausted Do they know how to play? This is where I say, do they have a plan B of how to play when they are tied, where where the instructions are very clear? So clearly, we we don't have the energy right now to keep going forward. So, this is how we can now remain compact, ensure we keep the ball. It's kind of like when Allegri takes off a shirt and starts doing a striptease um, of, of anger, uh-huh. if you like, on the sideline. And it's kind of, that's your idea of now we pass horizontally and just maintain possession. That is what he does. He does all of that. So you understand that you maintain possession. You don't, you don't lose the ball through the middle. You If you do have to lose the ball then make sure it's in the wide areas and so on and so forth. It's, it's a clear tactic. And I, and it seems like Milan don't really have an idea of what, what to do. And and Giroud admits that. And that's where it, it becomes problematic. Now, between these two coaches, Rudy Garcia has come out of it looking better, right? Because it's his team that, that came back and scored two goals. It's his team who had a tactical reaction and an emotional one, if you like. And it's Milan whose stars are coming off looking angry, who people are saying, we didn't know what we're supposed to do, who have now gone to another game against a big opponent and come out with less than three points. And so there are going to be question marks on Stefano Pioli. I do think it's ridiculous, but I do need him to show me that there is another idea and that there has to be something more than I'm going to send you guys out to play the game that we know how to play. And if you make a mistake, well, what can I do? You're not the best players in the world.
1: I I think you picked up on something really interesting there, Mina. And we should probably move on from this game kind of soon, but I, I do want to pick up on it. I think you sort of raised that that um, narrative that Milan come out of this as the, the negative story, but Napoli, oh, well, you know, it, it was sort of sold as, oh, well, they, you know, they did well, they came back into the game. And that's sort of how the the flow of things can tell a story, right? Because they were 2-0 down, it feels better to get that draw. Um, do you believe that, though? Do you believe that this Napoli team is actually in a better place than Milan? They have in the last month. uh, They've lost to Real Madrid. Obviously, that was a really entertaining game. They did put up a good fight, but they lost to Real Madrid. They lost to Fiorentina. That was also at home. Uh, They then, yes, they beat Verona. They won away to Union Berlin, but another draw against Milan. It's quite a lot of games they're not winning. And yes, they played some really good football in the second half, but the first half was was bad, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it really was bad. Um, And I I don't know how I feel about Napoli because I don't ever feel like Napoli is a team that I expect them to win the title. I do expect more from Milan though. And I I almost there's a part of me that almost thinks is such a genius that he ever achieved with Napoli last season. I don't see it as obviously there are great players there. I a lot of the most of them I would want on my team. I'm not gonna lie. I think Lobotka is a genius. I think Osman is the best striker, well, at least top three in the world. I think um Kravatskya is a delight to watch. But there is always a part of me that's sort of like surprised when they did when they do well. And what we still saw last season is that they lost heavily to Milan several times. They lost heavily to Inter. There is that ability in them that then <sighs> It's that weakness that sometimes I, I see in Barcelona. Of, of course, after all the big hitters like Luis Enrique and Pep Guardiola left, it's that ability to sometimes fall emotionally. They're a team that if they're leading the pack, they're very good. But if they have to chase, they don't have it in them. Whereas I see Inter, I see Real Madrid, I see Juventus and potentially even Milan as a side that are better at chasing, are better at sort of hunting you down. So while in this game, I was disappointed with what's going on. I Yes, you're right. I do feel like there's a a greater ceiling for Milan. There's more to come from them. I feel like they have the ability or the mentality to grow. But I do think what we're seeing now is, you know, we talked about a great season from them in the sense that so far they did well to recover from the Derby loss. But losing Maldini, losing this management that perhaps gave them that veteran experience, that solidity, the dressing room harmony you needed players like Zlatan, you needed a director like Maldini to remind them of what it means to be at Maldini, uh, to be at uh, Milan. And I do feel like losing these guys is making somewhat of a difference right now for Milan. I think that Pioli is doing well as much as he can to hold it together and the new players give a lot of enthusiasm. But I am worried that there's a part of them that's losing what makes them special or, or has made them special in these last few years and what they had built with Pioli and Maldini and that is what worries me going forward and I want to see how it progresses
1: okay one more answer yes or no do you think that either of these teams is the greatest rival to Inter for the league title
0: I've, I feel like Milan will have more of a say going forward if they can figure out a plan b yes because they're still okay. Chicoise there's still all these players to come back for sure I don't know about Napoli though
1: Listener, that was not a one-word answer. What we, we We know, we know. <laughs> uh,
0: what about you? You're asking me questions. Who do you think? What do you
1: think? I don't I don't think that either of these two is going to finish as the closest rival to Inter. I do think Inter will win the league. My hand is shown at this point on that. I think Inter are the best team in Serie A. But I think the closest rival to them is going to be another team we're going to talk about, Mina, which is Juventus, who won 1-0 against Verona. Um, it feels kind of ridiculous to say that after they beat Verona 1-0 in the 96th minute. I mean, this was not, you looked at Juventus and thought, wow, how uh, unstoppable a juggernaut they are.
0: I definitely thought that.
1: (laughs) However, it was a 1-0 win in which they should have scored much sooner. Um, Moise Keane had two goals allowed, both very unfortunate. We actually just got uh, a message from Chronicles Diversity member Nick Etter uh, saying, I'm not sure what I dislike more. Keane being offside by a stud or rolling a goal offside for a different player obstructing the keeper's view from normal play. Also, it looked like Chiesa won a penalty before stoppage time too. I'm curious if everyone felt like the referee only called fouls for Verona. Um, I'm a little bit muddled, um, Nick, on the second goal you're talking about because Keane had two goals allowed. The first one absolutely was one of these, in Italian they might say millimetrico, you know, millimetred, Offside decisions because now we have the technology and we can see that a tiny sliver of Moise Keane's boot is beyond the last defender. And so, on a technicality, if we're drawing these hard lines, that's the line. He's, he's offside. Um, the second one, uh, unless, unless I've got this wrong, Mina, and it wouldn't be the first time, but I understood that to have been disallowed because Keane waved an arm at Fagioli, winning the ball higher up the pitch. Carioli. I thought this was a soft decision because it was definitely... Sorry, yes, I said Fagioli, didn't I? Farioni, yes. I yeah, don't know why I Farioni, said Fagioli. Yeah. It was a soft decision. The arm is very much momentum, but it fits into that box, I guess, of seen them given. I feel incredibly sorry for Moise Keane, who hasn't scored yet this season and who played really well, has been playing really well, I think, for a little while deserved a goal and clearly then lost his, his head about it, got booked and Allegri took him off and he lost his head even more. Kid, but I think as I think actually, honestly, I think Allegri handled that part of it perfectly. I think Allegri said it afterwards. he said he didn't deserve to come off, mm. but his head had gone basically. And I think all of that is true. It was not fair to Keane, but it was the right thing for the team. Um And uh Yeah, I I, I think these decisions, on balance, I think probably you can't argue with them, but they feel mean and it feels very unfair on on Keane as an individual.
0: It does. Actually, I want to ask you a question just before I just give my opinion. Do you think Keane could potentially be better than (laughs) Vlaovic?
1: But for me, Moise Keane's problem, unfortunately, and this is why it feels extra sharp, Moise Keane's problem so far is that he hasn't convinced me he can score goals regularly. And this feels particularly unfair to say this, right after he's had two goals yes. disallowed for reasons he can barely control, right? These things are so on the margins. And do you think he had a goal disallowed in the derby and Torino as well? He's been very unlucky lately. If he can start to score consistently, I think that will change my opinion about him rapidly because I think his overall contribution has been quite good. But at the moment, he still hasn't actually got a goal to his name this season. And that is something you need your strikers to do.
0: So obviously, in this particular game plan, um, there was very little, I guess, from the overall game plan of Juventus against Hellas Verona, which we thought this could happen because we knew sort of what Verona were going to try to do in this match. Um, And it was in every way possible to sort of force Juventus to try to be creative and they don't have that because they don't really have the great midfielders. I mean, that come through the middle and try to score or help. Um, and on the wings they were blocked. I, I, I just I, I hate this team so much. You don't understand. Okay, it pains me to watch these guys and see them donning a Juventus jersey that once belonged to to people like Del Piero and Platini. And I'm just thinking really like honestly this is so below par, right? So, Moise Keen to me is a very interesting story because we were having, I I was having this debate with my friends and they were like, oh, come on, at 26, he should be doing better. And I'm like, you know, he's 23. And people forget Mm -hmm. because he's had such a journey as a kid, right? I I remember thinking it was him and Cutrone. Do you remember Cutrone for Milan and and Keen for Mm -hmm. Juventus? And they were going to be the top strikers for Italy. Obviously, that didn't work out. And then Moise Keen went to Everton, didn't work out. But when he went to PSG, he was fantastic. Like he was scoring a lot of goals there for a team that was creating a lot of opportunities that he was getting ahead of and scoring those goals and he was fantastic to watch for PSG. Since then again we haven't seen the best of him but Allegri has made a, a note and and we we can see it clearly not just for Juventus but also for the national team when Spalletti talked about him but there's something different about Keane this season from a from a mentality point of view from an emotional point of view, from his professional point of view, the way that he is showing up to training, the way that he is playing his game, adding to his his weaponry, like his arsenal of skills and tactics and technique, his physicality, it is making a difference on the pitch right now. And it does feel like he is almost a little bit cursed with these goals not going in. And if I was him, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to, I feel like I would so totally be a keen. By the end of it, I would have probably done an Arda Turan. If you remember Arda Turan in the Champions League, like, taken off my shoe and started flinging it towards <laughs> the linesman. Yeah, but it kind of just seems like I understand the semi automatic offside. And, and like I, you know, it's, it's a clear line. You're either off or you're on. But we do have to, and they are debating the law about whether it should be daylight, because that's what really it should be. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's no advantage to a heel, a sliver of a heel. Um, There's a lot as well, I mean, in La Liga that I could go on about, but we have to decide what the rules are because it's becoming a bit ridiculous at this point. But, and also Farioni, who does almost a Busquets at this point, right? You know, like... See, is the goal scored? Oh my gosh,
1: it was very cynical. I
0: mean, <laughs> I mean, it was brilliant. It was like, would you like an Oscar now? You know, I mean, here, listen, by all means, like I, I, love a little bit of play acting. I'm, I'm, I'm quite fond of the Dark Arts. So I probably, you know, if I'm Verona, I would have liked my player to, to do as much as he can to ensure a clean sheet. But you do feel sorry for Keane because it was pretty much him against Verona. It was pretty much him showing his physicality, his tenacity, his technique. The the margins with which he's improved the season. And I do feel like he adds something different to this UV side because there's, we have some limitations and against teams that will defend. And we need a player who can be physical, who has the qualities of of keen as well, who can take a player on. I, I enjoy him being part of the team and I would like him to see a more game time. Because I do think in the long run, we will see more consistency from him. But he just hasn't had that. He's not been allowed to play. Because if Lavic and Keza are healthy, there's not going to be keen starting, right? And another word for Milik. Because I think Milik is is also a very important player to Juve. So I think having those two guys as well is is essential. But congratulations for 100 clean sheets for Allegri. I mean, nothing is more Allegri at Juventus <laughs> than 100 clean sheets. So chapeau. <laughs>
1: Chapeau to Allegri. Yeah, I, I said at the start, I'll, I'll repeat it, I think Juventus, with no European football, have a very good chance to be Inter's closest rivals in Serie A. They're not a perfect team, they're a long way from a perfect team, but uh, I think they are going to have the right consistency and advantages, and they're not they're not conceding goals, which is, as we've been talking about with Milan and Napoli, they haven't shown that soft underbelly that that some of the other title rivals have. So, I think they've got a real chance to be in this type of conversation, but we don't need to talk about that game anymore. Or do you want to come back?
0: No, I just want to ask you something. Like when you see sort of the way that Napoli like really started, started sort of celebrating with the equaliser, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you saw Juventus going crazy without or scoring his first goal, which was a huge moment for him taking off shirt yellow card. That togetherness of the team. Is that something that so far we're we're not seeing at Milan and that could be the difference?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a, a, a an interesting question. I, I do think those dynamics matter. I do think that like squads come together sometimes in, in ways that that are meaningful. And I think it's another reason why I'm I'm so big on Inter this season. I think um again, yeah. just where you saw Turam and Lautaro celebrating at the end of that game, you feel like you feel like there's good vibes and, and I do think those things uh, over a season actually do matter, that players are enjoying their football together. I think it's very true at to use an example somewhere else, Tottenham in the Premier League right now, I think Ange Postacoglu is doing an amazing job for all our Aussie listeners I think he's genuinely brilliant, I think they've got some really good players there, but I also think they're a team that's just gelling and and having fun together and I think that that matters Um, so I do think that I agree with that yes, let's talk about Inter, Inter who beat Roma 1-0 this was obviously right before Napoli-Milan, so you had going into this weekend this feeling of, oh Sunday night's going to be such a Big evening, you've got Inter Roma, Napoli-Milan. Well, thank goodness Napoli-Milan was exciting because this wasn't. But <laughs> there was at least some drama off the pitch, wasn't there, Mina, with uh, the ultra, ultras from the curva Nord giving out whistles so that everyone could uh, make it as horrible as possible for Roman Lukaku. And then police issuing €22 Euro fines to people who had those whistles, um, trying to confiscate them all. And then people downloading apps with whistles onto their phones so they could whistle Lukaku. Unbelievable stuff. I mean, it really was loud. It was really loud. Um, But after all the talk and fuss about Lukaku, who look again, has whatever else you feel about him. He's been good for Roma. He scored goals, Um, but he was, he was a non-factor in this game because uh, Jose Mourinho, who of course was suspended and watching from the press box, had come to park the bus and, It nearly worked, I guess, Mina. Like, he nearly got what he wanted.
0: This is sort of the treatment that you give like strikers, right? Like who've betrayed your club. Because I feel like if you've got like a defensive midfielder who like defects to another club, no one really cares enough to go and buy whistles, <laughs> you know? But when it's Vlaovic, you know, do you remember Fiorentina and the 10,000 whistles, yes. right? And then yeah. this was going to be even worse. It's the striker, right? It's, it's, I know, I'm trying to think of Bonucci. Did What did Juventus do when they first faced him in Mina? He scored and did this usual terrible celebration mm-hmm. that I hate of his. But anyway, um, Yes, what a terrible match <laughs> in that sense. Although, <laughs> chapeau to, to um, Inter, I guess, for at least trying to really show us what they can do. There is so much of a narrative off the pitch that, you know, like, was so interesting. Obviously, like you said, the 30,000, the speeches by Pinto, who's saying lots of players have moved, like Mkhitaryan, like, why are you so angry? Um, it's different, right?
1: Because you're right. And can I pick up on that? Can I pick yeah. up on that? Because I've had a sure. people say that, like, why is it a big deal? most players don't give, I didn't, it's probably not going to this year, but most players don't give like an annual interview to Sky Sport saying how much they love the club.
0: No, but it's like, come on, you have a mural, you're like, literally tattooing into everywhere and then you're like, yeah, it's all done, I'm going to go to Uv." Like, come on, man. You know? Sorry, continue.
1: No, that was what I wanted to say. I just, I think when people don't understand why he's getting this particular treatment, I'm not saying he deserves it because, whatever you know fans fans do what they do that's their own interactions but there is a reason why it's different that there was a context there and and i I don't think the ultras are not sort of trying to validate their behavior and say they're right and they should do this but i think to sort of pretend that he's any other player he's not He's, he's a player who won the league there and who was idolized and who seemed at the time to be very happy there we talked about it a lot um and then who sort of didn't match up his actions with his words his words were i love this club more than anything and then talking about how it was a mistake to have left and gone back to chelsea and he did come back and was there on loan and then this summer the club were working to sign him and he um talked to other clubs and i i think you can roll your eyes a bit at the inter narrative of this too where they find out he's talking to another club and hang up on him mid-conversation and couldn't possibly talk to him anymore and I think it's all a bit melodramatic but I think it's also just disingenuous to pretend there isn't more of a story with Lukaku because there is.
0: Yeah I mean especially sort of you know posting on Instagram about Inter and and how much you love her after the Champions League final and then knowing during that time that you were negotiating with another team it is it is a betrayal because it's different if it's Del Piero doing it to Juventus or it's Javier Zanetti doing it to Inter or it's he is of a different stature than somebody who's left on a free transfer to join another team who it's going to be painful. Chaneloglu was painful for Milan, you know, but it's somewhat different when you have like, it's exactly that. It is the, the, the love story that he had, the love story, not only with, with Inter, but also with Lautaro Martinez. Like they were neighbors. They spent so much of their time together, especially during the pandemic. Um, They were considered best friends. He was, he showed up at his wedding and you saw when it came time to shake hands that Matt Aramadino was was just made a, made an effort to not look him in the eye. So there's genuine hurt there. That's not just from the club, but also from the teammates. But either way, I mean, we've seen a treated pretty badly by Napoli when he came back and, Mm -hmm. you know, he didn't, pledge himself, I guess, to Napoli in the same way that that Lukaku did, but he also suffered the wrath of Neapolitan fans. And Mm -hmm. I guess this is something that happens. But in general, um, so yeah, there was so much to speak about sort of off the pitch that the game, (laughs) it was more interesting than what happened in the game.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, in in terms of the game, I think the story for me, Mina, is that actually Inter on the transfer policy, end up fully validated because Marcus Turam, who's playing in a role that used to belong to Lukaku, decides the game.
0: Is he better? I mean, we're talking about, what, 10 games, he scored four goals and managed five assists. Is he like the best player in the league?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, Lukaku's got, what is it, five goals and seven starts. So let's not ignore that Lukaku has been very good for it all because he has.
0: He has indeed, but it's the assists that I care more about the goals, because Lautaro Martinez has scored more goals than Turam, right? But yeah. this guy is, is has just come in, he's played like 10 Serie A games, and in his first 10 games, the guy has delivered five winning assists and four goals. It is incredible what he has managed to do with Lillian Turam watching him in the sidelines, but... I really do feel like it's very hard to sort of take to a new team in the way that he has. I find it remarkable. Maybe because I didn't look at him as somebody that could do that. I was unsure, to be honest with you. I know he was a good player. But I didn't. I certainly didn't think that he would have the impact that he had. But seeing him move, he he has, for me, the ability to be absolutely excellent and potentially better than, I don't know, a, a lot of players. I'm sort of a little bit surprised by that. I didn't I didn't expect it for Marcus Turam. And you really feel like you don't need to miss Lukaku when you had him. That's not to say that there have been, you know, Keys has been good or Leao has been great or Latar Martinez has scored more goals, even, even Lukaku. But there's something about Turam and how he's playing right now that makes me think like this is the best transfer, you know, one of the best players that's come in in, in this season, surely.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because his, his numbers at and Mönchengladbach were promising, but they weren't spectacular, right? Yes. Uh, last season, 13 goals and six assists in, in twenty eight.
0: Become a member at patreon.com forward slash Serie Chronicles for regular bonus episodes and content. Sports Social Podcast Network.